Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. One plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome back, everybody. This this here is Bases Loaded, Fantasy Baseball Podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Curland. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. Now, today's episode five, and we're going to go ahead and discuss draft strategy. We're going to look at different types of leagues, points leagues, head-to-head categories, roto, different, uh, you know, snake versus auction, and just kind of go over it. I'm going to review some of my personal strategies, what I like to go for and look at, and we'll go from there. Now, we're going, to jump in. we're going to go ahead and jump into these formats. The first format is head-to-head points leagues. Now, I'm personally not a huge fan of these, but if you are new to fantasy baseball, this is by far the easiest and best way to get comfortable with the sport from a fantasy aspect. And it's the most similar format to fantasy football. And let's be honest, most people who fall into fantasy baseball have at least started with or play a ton of fantasy football. The reason why I'm not a huge fan of these leagues, it's weekly lineups, so you have a lot of you know injuries midweek or guys get scratched from starts. So that really puts a damper on things. You usually have a set amount of pick uh, pickups you can, you know, wave wire ads you can utilize every week. And you can't even utilize them for that said week. You have to wait until the following week to plug them in. So if a guy's hot now and he falls off that hot streak by the end of the week, there's a chance you don't even use them for the next week. But beyond that, you have to know how to approach them. Now, starting pitching gets a huge boost in points leagues. You want guys who can eat innings and strike out a lot of, a lot of guys, uh, strike out a lot of hitters. You want high K per nine. So in points leagues, you're probably going to see a, a Scherzer, a DeGrom, a Sale, maybe even a Cole or Nola or Snell. One of them might sneak into the first round. It would not surprise me. Hitting usually falls by the wayside, gets a little devalued because you can find great hitting late. When it comes to hitters, I always target guys with solid on-base percentages and home runs. 
Steals, I completely ignore those types of guys. I want guys who are going to hit a bunch of home runs and walk a ton. Steals get you points, sure, but a lot of the guys that get you steals don't get on base all that much. I'm going to take the guy who hits 30-plus home runs and walks over 100 times a year versus a guy who hits 10 to 15 home runs, steals 40, but then strikes out a ton. And that's another thing. you got to watch out for strikeouts. Strikeouts are a lot of times are negative points in these leagues. So a guy that strikes out a ton like, like a Joey Gallo, yeah, he hits a whole lot of home runs. But his on-base percentage is barely over 300. So he's usually average on OVP. And his strike, he strikes out so much that his value is all pretty much whatever. He's nothing special in these formats. So, again, it's all about knowing your formats, knowing the scoring system, and adjusting it appropriately. When it comes to points leagues, I devalue saves as a whole as well. Saves get you points, but I like to try to get starting pitchers with, with relief pitcher eligibility. These are guys that are going to go out and likely get you the most points out of that position. Sure, maybe an Edwin Diaz might get a couple saves a week, so maybe your high-end closers still have some value. I'm more likely to go get like a Tyler Glass now or somebody like that that he's a starting pitcher, but he has that relief pitcher eligibility, so he's more likely to score more points out of that relief pitcher spot. Solid mid-tier pitching. I mean, you want guys – like instead of taking Rich Hills, who aren't going to get you quality starts – and might not pitch a lot of innings. You want guys like Chris Archer, who pretty close to a sure thing for 180 to 200 innings, over 200 Ks. Ratios aren't as big of a deal in points leagues. You want guys who are going to pitch a lot of innings and strike out a lot of players. So you can kind of, again, like a 4.0 ERA is not going to kill you when he's striking out as many people as he's getting and the wins and the quality starts and all the stuff that adds up, the innings pitch, the outs. And, again, some, some points leagues get a little funky with their scoring. So if they favor a certain thing more than another, you got to adjust to it. If strikeouts don't count as negative points, then someone like Joey Gallo really does gain a lot of value because now you're getting a guy who's hitting a lot of home runs and walks enough to where he's not going to kill you because he's not going to strike it because the strikeouts aren't counting against you. I also forgot to mention, in points leagues, all the rankings you're looking up for fantasy baseball – all the rankings are pretty much for Roto or head-to-head categories, mostly 5x5 five five standard Roto. So, again, you can't just take those and run with them blindly. I made that mistake in the past. When I first started out, I was like, oh, here's some rankings. This will help. Not really because, again, it's meant for uh, Roto leagues. You really have to do some homework on those. Well, let's say – let's take Harper. I view Harper as a first-round pick slam dunk every time in a points league. He walks a ton. He hits a bunch of home runs. He's, gonna, he's, that, he's like a perfect points league player. But in Roto Leagues, he's going anywhere from 12th to 15th overall, and people are calling him a potential bust. In points leagues, I have a hard time imagining anybody really arguing that he's a first-round value. So just be mindful of the scoring system. I'm going to repeat that a lot in this because that's a huge part of how you go into a draft. You have to know what categories count for how many points and all that good stuff. So there's some strategy to it. It's almost like PPR versus non-PPR in football and stuff like that. It just some, some leagues are funky like that. So just check your point settings before you draft and adapt accordingly. The second type of a league I'm gonna, I'll go ahead and talk about is head-to-head category leagues. I treat these a lot like Roto leagues. The main difference in how I treat them is that I'm all for punting one category. And I say one category because most of these leagues, if it's a 5x5 five five or it's a 6x6, six six, most of these leagues – give you a win or a loss per category. I, I'm willing to give up one category. So I'm going into the week with one loss already in the loss column 
but the idea is to strengthen up another category so much that that basically guarantees me a win. So it's a one-for-one trade-off. It gives me a win in at least one and strengthens a few other categories as well. For instance, I'm willing to punt either batting average or steals depending on who I or how I start my draft or who I start my draft with. So if I punt batting average, I'm going to sure as heck get strong on stolen bases and home runs and go that route and try to sure up the other four categories on offense. I do try to build overall a solid balanced team, but I'm, I'm all for punting one category in, in a head-to-head categories league. And I guess I forgot to hit on this in points leagues as well, but points leagues and head-to-head categories leagues, two-star pitchers are great to stream in these formats. These guys can hopefully help you get a few extra wins, a lot of extra points. So obviously you got to be mindful of who they're starting against and all that good stuff. So you really got to pay attention. You don't want to just pick a Joe Schmo two-star pitcher for that week. Do your research, see who they're facing. And make sure they're actually two-star pitchers. Make sure there's not, make sure there's enough games in the week, and make sure they're not getting pushed back. Or you know, sometimes that happens last minute, so you don't get stuck with a mediocre pitcher for one start in these formats, especially in your head-to-head categories leagues, because some of them aren't daily, some of them are weekly. So in points leagues, they're almost always weekly. You set them, forget them, make add drops as needed throughout the week, but you don't get to plug in your daily lineups. In head-to-head categories, you get to plug in, so two-star pitchers aren't always a necessity but there are some where they lock for the week. So you want to have those two start pitchers, give you the extra start and the extra stats. So again, just be mindful and adapt to the league rules as they are. The final format I absolutely love, probably my favorite. And it wasn't always my favorite because I started with head to head points leagues. That's how I got into fantasy baseball. Again, they're the most basic, it's the most basic and simple way to get into fantasy baseball. So anyways, back to Roto leagues. Roto is by far my favorite. It wasn't always, but it is now. I love that, uh, that grind, and it's almost like a battle of the minds, so to speak, because at the end of the day, the best team does win this league. The owner putting in the most effort via trades, waiver wire, constantly grinding away, that guy is going to most likely win the league. Now, there's times where you could trade, make some bad trades, and actually trade yourself out of the league. <laughs> so you got to be careful. You don't want to be too aggressive, but... Like I said, the best team does typically win. And the fun, the fun part about it is that come midseason, you could see, or even before that, you could see what you're weak in. And if you miss, say you need saves, say you need steals, and you miss those waiver wire darlings like the Mondesis of last year or fill in the blank closer that gets the job in the second half, you miss one of those guys, you can trade for need. Because most people, even in Roto Leagues, will see like a Stanton for a Brad Hand trade and be like, whoa. And they want to veto it, which if we if I'm in a league that vetoes trades, I get out of that league. I don't do vetoes. But and on paper and on, on the surface, I can understand how Stanton for Brad Hand trade. And that would be a, like a bold example, but that type of trade can seem super unfair. But in Roto Leagues, that's the beauty of it. It's not all about winning the trade on paper, getting, oh, I got a second rounder for my eighth round closer. It's about winning the trade. If I have 30 home runs over the next guy, I'm more than willing to give up that power if I'm 10 saves behind my next guy because I'm more likely to hold up that 30 home run lead to a point. It might drop a little bit because obviously losing Stanton would never be easy. It won't be easy to replace. But I think, you know, the idea would be to win the trade. So I might have gave up a few home runs. I'm holding on strong to that one category. Saves, I'm down 10. Maybe 10, and I've seen it where 10 saves can separate two or three spots in the, in the save standings. Well, that Brad Hand trade, although I lost it on the surface, I just gained three or four points in the standings, and now I'm winning my league. 
So you really have to be mindful of that. That's a huge thing that you, you can take advantage of in, in Roto Leagues. A lot of people just see big names, see values, and don't think, wow, I lost that trade? Because you really didn't lose – like the person who gets Stanton doesn't really lose the trade, but the person who gives up Stanton wins the trade by far for his specific needs because a lot of it is need-based in Roto Leagues. And just like category leagues, you have to pay attention to – it always goes back to paying attention to the rules, paying attention to the categories. Because if categories change, so do values of players. If you have quality starts versus wins, on-base percentage versus average, the values that change according to the categories you need to fill. So, again, we'll go back to Harper. In a, t- in a traditional 5x5, five five, because of the shift really hurting Harper's batting average last year, and he, he barely, he's barely getting drafted inside the first round. A lot of times falls to that second round, early second. In an OBP league, I would probably have him top seven, top eight without an issue because now he becomes a roughly a five-category producer. His steals, you might get 10 out of them this year, but still, in OBP leagues, he's fantastic. And people like Javier Baez or, heck, even Trey Turner get a little hurt by OBP league because now Trey Turner goes from being a five-category producer to being kind of like a four-and-a-half-category producer because his OBP isn't terrible, but it's not elite. Somebody like Yelich remains a five-category producer, but because he has those steals and probably roughly about 20 is his floor, because you know you're getting about 20 steals from the guy along with all the other categories, he moves up to me, for me easily in my top five. Just stuff like that. I mean, OBP leagues are similar to points leagues as far as, the off, as, far as offensive players who gain value. I'm a, in an OBP league, I'm definitely going to be going after guys who have decent steals but have solid that but won't crush your on base percentage. Like Amondesi, I won't touch in the OBP league because now he's crushing you in OBP. The guy could the guy will barely have a 300 OBP, and I feel I say that pretty confidently because he's overly aggressive at the plate and he swings them. He has a lot of swing and miss. But a guy like Tommy Pham, he has a great on base percentage. He steals again. He'll steal you. 15 to 20 easily. Lorenzo Cain, same thing. You just have these guys that you have to just be more mindful because players gain value and lose value based on changing of the, of the categories. There's one more thing I want to discuss. I, don't, I won't punt a category in Roto. 6x6, 5x5, I don't care. I find it very difficult to win when you get, when you get a 1 in any category. The idea is to maybe pick a category or two where you might be weaker Maybe you finish mid-pack in those categories. But, as long, but, but if you can finish mid-pack in most and the top of a couple, that's always been a good recipe for success. I've been lucky enough to be pretty successful in my Roto Leagues. I'm really an aggressive owner. I'm not afraid to play the waiver wire. I will grab a hot hitter. I will hold on to him. I'm very, very active. That's a big advantage if you're that type of owner for a Roto League. And I'm very competitive, so I always want to win, period, end of discussion. Now that I've discussed like the three main ways to play fantasy baseball, and none other come to mind, so maybe I'm missing something. But those are the three types of leagues I'm familiar with. And now we're going to talk snake versus auction formats. In snakes, you have to take advantage of the ADP. It's plain and simple. Never hold it to be true because ADP is just it is what it is. It's average draft position. There's always going to be a group of players higher on, on a certain guy and groups of players lower on a certain guy. There's guys going around 100, 110 that you'll see get taken 80 overall. There's there's guys going 80 overall that might drop to 110. You have to just kind of sort of just get the guys you believe in. I'm not I'm not saying go get your guys like oh you want say uh, you want Conforto because I'm a big Conforto guy. 
I personally think he's going to be a top 75 pick. I actually have a bet with a buddy of mine, not be a top 75 pick, but he's going to finish inside the top 75 in 5 by 5 Roto. But I don't have to take him there. So I typically wait till about pick 80, pick 85, sometimes pick 90 if I push my luck, and I'll just snatch him up around there. And according to ADP, that was a little bit of a reach, but not if I believe he's going to be a certain type of player. So you can't just look at rankings and think, oh, these rankings are right. Well, you can't just look at ADP and be like, well, this ADP is right. You got to do what you, what you think is best for your team and get your guys. Because in a snake, you are at the will of the draft, the, the drafters in the room, and you're at the will of that draft slot. If you think they can fall back to you and get lucky and you want to risk it, go for it. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of smart guys that play this, that play fantasy baseball. You're probably not the only person eyeing like a, Dan, like a Daniel Murphy in like fan tracks. He has a pretty low ADP. It hasn't been adjusted, it seems like. But guys I play with, like he might be going close to 80 or 90 or 100 in fan track, but guys I play with get him in the 50s and 60s. And I have to be mindful of that. So if I really want him, which he's another guy I really like to get, but I again I play with some sharp individuals. Most of, most of the people I know think he's going to be a top fifty to sixty player, especially in cores. Take them where you value them. If you're in a room with a bunch of people you, that you're not familiar with, maybe you could take that risk and maybe they'll fall a little bit. Essentially, at the end of the day, get the guys where you think they're valued at. Don't let the ADP rule your thinking because if if you're up to pick and you want a guy who's not supposed to be taken for another 20, 25 picks, but you think his value is where you're at now and you don't want to risk missing out on him, you take him there. You're not going to be wrong because most picks, there's, a, there's probably a good 15 to 20 pick difference in where they can, can end up for better or worse. So essentially in snake drafts, get who you want when you want. Don't be a slave to the ADP or to the ranks that you follow. They're a guiding system. Don't get mad at people if they're a little wrong because, again, it's a guide. It's supposed to help you give you an idea of where people should be taken or where guys should be valued. But the difference between player at rank 80 and rank 120, there could be very mild reasoning why there's a difference in those rankings. And that's why if you look at certain websites, you can see the minimum pick for this, like say a player on average goes around 110, but somebody, but his minimum picks in the seventies and his max picks in the one twenties, one thirties, it's because there is just that wide range of outcomes and belief in them. So don't hold that stuff to be so true but try to use it to your advantage because if you really like a guy that's been taken 150 consistently overall and you think there's no reason why you should be going that late, take him at 130 and be happy about it. Don't get greedy because then there's a chance you miss out because there's always a chance there's somebody in the, other, in the room with you willing to make that, take that same chance on, a guy, on the same guy. And in snake, it's in snake drafts, I also like to just kind of see what the draft gives to me. I don't go in with a set idea, a set mindset of, you know what, in first round I'm getting this guy – Second round, I'm getting this guy. I like to see what the draft, like what the, what falls to me in, in these drafts, because I know top three, I'm going to go Trout, Betts, Ramirez in that order. Other than after that, I honestly change it up because between after your top three, it's like really just a mosh pit of you know, take who you want. And then even then, that's all, I'm only planning for the first round because you don't know who's going to fall to the second round. But I can tell you, in my first five picks, I usually get two pitchers and three hitters. That's almost always a guarantee. I try to always get two of my top 20 pitchers. Closers, I don't reach for closers. I let them come to me. I love a lot of the guys going later. Brad Hand and LeClerc are two of my favorite targets to get. Last I checked, Hand goes around 80 or 85 overall. LeClerc anywhere between 110 to 120. I, I usually get Hand at about the right value. And if I don't get Hand, I'm okay because I, I usually I'll fall back on 
on like a Doolittle or something. And as long as Kimbrell doesn't go there, he's just fine where he's going. I'm a fan of Doolittle. And then, of course, the clerk, I'm always getting him in the anywhere between the 8th and 10th round. He's always there for me. I, have, I, I realize I'm going through my drafts. I'm seeing a lot of my teams have him. And then either I'm going to turn around and get an Andrew Miller for ratio support in Ks, and he's going to get me a few saves, or a Ryan Presley with the same idea, ratio support in Ks. I usually always get one middle reliever with, for ratio support, Ks, and the occasional save to help bolster my, my you know, all that stuff. And this year, you're getting a lot of guys like Strickland, like Barnes, Strope. But Strope might not be healthy. So I like C-Shack, personally, to get a chance to start the season as a closer until Strope is 100% right, if he, if he isn't anyway, as we enter the season. I always get two closers minimum, possibly a third very late, and a middle relief pitcher. And that sounds like a lot of spots to give up to him. But if I can gain a lead in saves, I can either trade one of them or just drop one. It's all about just what you feel comfortable doing, and I, that's just a, a, the approach I take to Roto Leagues. So, but as far as snakes go, you just got to fill out the room. If you see a run starting, don't get nervous. Don't just be like, oh, well, this guy might not make it. This guy is supposed to go way down here, but you know what? This run, this run of closers just happened, or this run of starters, or this run of whatever. You don't always have to adjust to the runs. You can zig when everybody else zags. And then when everybody else is zagging, you can zig again in the, in the later rounds and make up for it. Don't panic. That's a big thing in snakes as well. Now, auctions, they are by far my favorite style of drafting. They're the most fun. They can be a little long on time. I'm fully aware of that. But they are the most fun. I absolutely can't ever get enough auction drafts. You literally build your team the way you want to. Now, people can go stud-dud approach, which for those who aren't familiar – you get a lot of like, you know, you can buy two or three of the top players and then you're filling your team in around them with mediocre guys, some sleepers you like, stuff like that. I usually go in and I get at least one stud pitcher, one stud hitter, and then kind of build from there. I never come in with a set mindset of who I have to get and what I'm going to pay for them. I don't come in with set prices. I'm actually more likely to overspend a little bit at the beginning, knowing because I'm pretty confident in my knowledge and skill set, knowing I'm going to get some solid values at the end of the draft. A couple guys that should be 5 or $10 will fall for anywhere from 3 to 5 or 2 to 5 bucks because all the money being spent earlier in the draft. But I'm for sure getting one stud hitter to build my offense around and one stud pitcher to build my pitching stuff around. I'll get two of the lower to mid-tier closers again and one of those cheap guys at the end. And again, go from there. I build an all-around complete team no matter which way I go. I'm not a big fan of going stud dead unless it's a shallow league. Now, the more shallow the league, you know, the less uh, spots you need to fill a starting rotation, then I'm definitely more likely to spend my money on big names because you're going to have amazing values at the end. Not just good, but amazing. You're going to have guys that would be 10 bucks in a deeper league, be like 2 or 3 or a dollar at the end of a shallow league auction. So it always goes back to just knowing how many teams are in your league, knowing your, the roster construction, knowing the just – everything about it, pay attention, study up on it, and approach the draft with that in mind. Don't run blindly with, with these ranks and these ADPs. Make your own set or maybe come up with a group of people. Like For me, it's always tiers. I like, I like tiers more. There's guys I prefer in certain areas of a draft, but I, I'm not selling, ever getting a set guy. I tend to try to get the guys I like, obviously, the guys I'm in favor of, but I'm also willing to – let that person go if they get too costly in a snake or obviously in an auction. 
people, a lot of people know who I like, especially now that I've started podcasting and started putting myself out there. I'm in drafts with guys that get all my four on one. So they're going to try to bid me up on my guys. Well, they're going to get stuck with my guys because just because they are quote unquote, my guys and guys I typically target, never be afraid to just beg, you know what? That's enough and drop them on them. Let them get stuck with them because they probably don't even want them in the first place. And then adapt. There's tiers of, there's guys in similar tiers, similar area that I value similarly that I can get for cheaper. I'm going to do it. I might not be as happy with it, but at the end of the day, the idea is to win. I'm, I'm a competitor. I want to win. I don't want to just root for, I mean, I can root for my guys regardless, but obviously it's more fun to have them on your team, but I'm also willing to let them go and just follow a guy I'm not so fond of that I value similarly, but got for cheaper. Because so, I also want value. I don't want to just spend the extra five bucks when I can save some of that five bucks for later in the draft. It's just, you got you gotta, there's some give and take with that. If you go with a tier approach, it's probably a little smarter way to go into auctions because you might have five guys in a tier and maybe the fifth guy in that tier goes for $10 cheaper than the rest, but you value them similarly while you just, you can reallocate the $10 to a bigger name or maybe to a catcher or a closer or whatever you need. So that's how I approach the auctions. That's how I approach snakes. And that's just how I, and that's how I kind of, I approach all these uh, different formats. That's, that's really it. I mean, it's a brief, this was, this is one of my shorter podcasts for sure. But I wanted to get something out to you guys that maybe will help you think twice or maybe help you as you go into drafting this weekend because this is one of the bigger draft weekends uh, prior to the season starting, especially with the early start on the 20th coming up. So this was just something I threw together real quick for you guys. wanted you to have it to reference to maybe think about. Shoot me over any questions, of course. I hope you found this useful. Again, it was trying to get straight to the point, try to kind of – give you guys something to think about and maybe adjust to as the big, the big draft weekend is among us. So if you have any questions, obviously you can hit me up on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. I'll gladly answer my, I answer a lot of questions. I'm on Twitter pretty frequently, so I'll answer the best I can. I appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You can pretty much find it on any, uh, on any platform these days. So please subscribe, review, uh, leave a comment on the on iTunes or something that is always greatly appreciated. But till then, guys, you know where to find me, and uh, gotta go. See ya. <laughs>